Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. Good evening, everybody, and my thanks to Ken Quiethawk for his unique introduction. He never fails to surprise me. We have a special guest tonight, and I'm really excited to bring this man to you because he is so full of um, philosophical knowledge and wisdom in directions that not many of us have gone in before. And I am thrilled that he's you know, here to, to share with us tonight. Jeffrey Darty is known as the Christian whistleblower. He was a Pentecostal minister for over 20 years. He's a Bible college graduate with over 100,000 hours of study in the biblical text, and he, has a combined, and he has combined 36 years of spiritual experience across the spectrum. He's authored 14 books, of which I've only managed to read five, but I can highly, highly, highly recommend two of them. Not that the others aren't good, but the ones that were my favorites were Apostle Paul, the Antichrist, and... Uh, the Final Message of the Last Apostle. Uh, both of them I found to be educational, interesting. They are definitely, um, they're, they're not an easy read, but they're a good read. You, you, you have to pay attention, but, but it's not the kind of thing you, you have to um, break your neck over because it does flow beautifully. They're, they're written very, very well. And I thoroughly enjoyed them. You can find Jeffrey at www.jeffreydoherty.com. And please don't miss out on checking out his YouTube channel. He's got over 900 videos there, and they run full spectrum. You will definitely find things that you'll enjoy, things that will outrage you. But above all, everything up there will make you think and that's really, really what, what everything we do is meant to do, because as long as you people are thinking um, and questioning, then basically our jobs are done. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Barbara. It's always my honor to be with you, and I was interested to see what you were going to say when you said I'm, he's full of, and there was a little pause. I wasn't sure what was coming next. <laughs> Well, you are full of wisdom, and <laughs> and actually, but 
you know, you your method of delivering it sometimes, um, you know, it 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 catches people up short, but but it always makes people think, and you know, maybe go muttering around to saying, "I'm going to check that out" because he can't possibly be right, but but you are, and 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 so it's 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 amazing how you take something that has become humdrum to most of us and you make it interesting, fascinating. And I mean, both of the books that, that are my favorites, I, I learned a great deal from. And I'm very grateful that you wrote them because I probably wouldn't have investigated um, these two guys myself at all, ever, um, only because the biblical stuff is really not my major forte, though I'm fascinated by it. Um, I, I know enough to get in trouble, but that's about it. And so I, I thoroughly enjoyed those two books. The, you, you're just writing so many books that you can't keep up with you. So, because um, when I started talking to you, you didn't have 14 books out there, and, and I forget how many it was, but while I was trying to wade through all of your books, you wrote a couple more. Well, that's one of the benefits of only sleeping five hours a day, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. Um, when I was when I was sitting back thinking, you know, how do we start tonight? It occurred to me that that religion has played an important part in our lives as long as we have been sentient beings. Just about the element of religion or gods or or some some majestic higher authority that we could, you know, seek advice and knowledge and wisdom and protection from. And it's kind of interesting how over time religion has evolved into a completely different aspect within our lives. It really is. And if you think about it anthropologically, there's been about 50,000 years that humans have uh, had culture sophisticated enough to support uh, religious beliefs. And for about 48,000 of those years, the religions across the board were mainly uh, nature-based, uh, mainly, you know, were of, a, of, a, of an idea to get along with one another. There were certain gods that did certain things uh, for certain people, and everyone just kind of, you know, smiled and, and did their business and, and got along. It wasn't you know, at all uncommon to have great feasts and celebrations where people from, you know, various religious backgrounds and, you know, very firm convictions would be able to, you know, have a good time together, drink some grog or some ale or whatever. But in the last 2,000 years, the rise of maybe 3,000 years at the most, the rise of monotheism has cropped up. Mm-hmm. And monotheism is the, you know, my God is bigger than your God. My God can beat your God. And my God's the only God, and it's caused great bloodshed, uh, great fear, great guilt, and it really is a titanic change in the way that religion is portrayed and in the way that uh, religion is celebrated. And the thing that we lose track of is that's a very Johnny-come-lately attitude. Only you know, 2,000 out of 50,000 years have we thought that way. And I would hope that if we sit back and take account and and, and think it over that we might realize that maybe we should think about how we've done this and maybe give a little more uh, credence to the way we did it most of the time than the way we've been doing it here just the last little bit, uh, culturally speaking. Yeah, because if, if we went back thousands of years, I mean 5,000, 6,000 years ago, it was the religion and the belief 
that that kept communities together. Absolutely. And, and you know, when you get up into the Rome, the Roman and the Greek and the Egyptian eras, um, it takes on a whole nother flavor. It's it's almost as though the priesthood is now manipulating the people. It's 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 kind of like you have to you know, pay to pray just about, you know, and, and the gods won't listen unless you have sacrificed to them, unless you have given something to them. And it, it just, it seems to me that, that, that when Christianity came about, um, every, everything got even worse. And, and, you know, I can only speak personally for myself, but I have, I have pulled away from, an organized religion, um, feeling more comfortable with my own personal belief system as far as a creator and stuff like that. But but people today cling to the churches, and and I don't think they understand what it is they're actually clinging to. I think you're right, and Barbara, it's not my job to tell anyone, you know, what to believe or what to believe in. You know, I spent six years in the United States military, and one of my core beliefs is that people have the right uh, to self-determination and thought and religious practice. And I also believe that people have the right to have as much of the facts available to them as possible in making their decisions. So when I talk about Christianity and expose what I call the cracks in big-time religion, it's not necessarily to tell somebody what to believe, but it's an effort to give them as much information as they possibly can. I mean, to put it in a rather mundane analogy, I'm like a, a, a dealer at a card table, and I'm dealing all of the cards face up. So you can uh, draw the hand that you want and play it as you please, but you deserve, in my opinion, to know what lies beneath the foundation of your religion. And that's what I'm about, is you know just delivering the mail, giving people the information. And if they, like you said, if they think and look and read, my work here is completed. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's it it amazes me with with and I've listened to a lot of your shows too and and um I, I highly recommend people tune in. You you don't have a schedule. <clears throat> I, I do say. now actually. I do have I have sort of a schedule. We do have live shows every day on the YouTube channel which you can find just by Jeff Darty YouTube or Christian Whistleblower YouTube. We do have a schedule at 11 a.m. 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. We have live shows every day, but we usually have a whole lot more in between there that are and will remain, unfortunately, unscheduled. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of like when the spirit moves you, you get on on the YouTube thing here. Well, Um, I'm doing a lot of counseling with people and working with people one-on-one, so that takes up a lot of time. And when I have gaps, that's when I'll uh, create additional uh, programming for the channel. Well, I got to tell you, you, you um, clearly there, there is a calling here because nobody else could have possibly put this many YouTubes up there um, if there wasn't a, a real drive inside of them to put information out there for other people. And I think YouTube is a beautiful place to put it because it's an amazing audience. And certainly you have a great many that follow you and and I can imagine that that's going to, to blossom over the next couple of years for sure, because we are at a time where on a consciousness level, humanity is really going through a renaissance of, of awakening that, that I am so delighted to see. And um, I think one of the, um, 
I don't know how to get, I, I, I think one of the most interesting and exciting things that, that, that you brought up in, in one of your books um, was that, that the story behind Christianity of a savior being born and, and having disciples and being crucified and rising on the third day and, and that whole thing it can be traced back. It, it's not unique unto Christianity. Not even close to unique, Barbara. And as we go into the you know, holiday season, <laughs> one of the <laughs> things that used to really bother me, but now it just makes me chuckle, is you see the appearance of these bumper stickers that say, Keep Christ in Christmas. And it makes me laugh because there was Christmas three, 4,000 years before there was ever Christ. So, it, And it really is just a, I mean, to put it mildly, it, it's just plagiarism. They blatantly stole from other religions, everything about the Christ, from the day he was born, from the stable, from the wise men, from the star, um, even to the king being after him, born of a virgin. And it's from that all the way through to the, you know, the purported uh, crucifixion, three days in the ground, resurrection, mm-hmm. all of that is not even close to unique. And it's, it's, if, if they had done that today, they could be sued for plagiarism and would definitely lose in that suit. Yeah, and in in one of your books, and I'm not sure which one is, I think it's the final message of the last apostle. You list, it. there have to be 20 or 30 different times through through history that, that this same pattern has been replicated whether it's Roman or Greek or, or Egyptian or, I mean, it, 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 it's full spectrum. So that this story has been told um, thousands of years before Christ, uh, well, the st- thousands of years before the story of Jesus um, is purported to have occurred. Absolutely. And that, could, that list could easily have been uh, over 100 long, but you know, I figured the 30 or 40 that I did list was enough to make the point. Oh, it makes the point well, and the, I, you know, I, I had not realized that there were so many. I knew there were a lot, but I didn't realize there were as many as there were. And when you see that many with the exact same um, agenda, with the exact same script, so to speak, you do begin to sit back and and say, well, wait a minute, did. Did those those early guys just think, well, let's let's take this pattern. It's worked so well in the past. We'll make it. We'll we'll let it play out yet again. And when you think about the historical context of it, Barbara, you're talking about a Roman Empire that stretched across the entire known world and represented in that territory, controlled by Rome, were many disparate religions, many religions with many different gods many different faiths, many different ways to believe, many different holidays, many different customs. And it was a a centripetal force. It was pulling apart the empire because there was no unifying aspect. And what they did by creating uh, the Jesus Christ story as it is now written, they gave them one unified thing that they could all, that was common and, and in their memory and gave them at least something that they could focus on and it became a centrifugal for, or a, a centripetal force when they came together. It was centrifugal, which pulled them apart. But it became a unifying force, especially when the Roman army went along with the Roman short sword, which was the original weapon of mass destruction, and said, convert 
or die, it became a particularly effective uh, tool. (laughs) And all of a sudden you had people believing in the same God, uh, calling on the same name, worshiping on the same dates, and at at least it gave them a little salve to say, okay, well, we kind of did this before in another name, but we'll do this now. So it was, was a very, very ingenious political move and we we know we lose sight of that today that it was essentially a political move and it was something that bound together an empire that was starting to show signs of coming apart at the seams and and yet today people see what gets me is the people blindly listen to the pulpit and don't bother to research themselves and and for me, that is, that is something that aggravates. I'm not saying you have to go out and read the Bible. But I am saying, you know, when, when things like this come up and, and you want to question it, investigate it. Look into it. Um, one of the things that is said in the Bible is to, you know, question everything. And we, we are at a point in time where a great many people, and there's, there's such change coming with consciousness, it's unbelievable. People are waking up on all sorts of different levels. And, and I'm not saying that, that, that people shouldn't have a spiritual belief system because I truly believe that that's important. But, but if you're going to have a religious belief system, make sure you know what you're believing in. Exactly. And, you know, for a long time, it's, it's hard to fault people, because if you think about back when Christianity started a couple thousand years ago, you know, there weren't that many people that were literate. There really weren't you know, a lot of Bibles being passed around, and the, the church, the clergy, you know, with, who were typically higher educated and had you know, the money to have uh, luxuries like books, kept it all very closely controlled. And that was, you know, that was the case for a long time, but here we are now in 2017, and let's just be very conservative. For the last 20 years, we've all had access to this thing called the Internet, and it's impossible now for any type of a religious organization to keep the, the, the beliefs and the, and the doctrines away from people. And, I mean, even when I was in the ministry, when it first started out, I spent 20 years, as you said, as a preacher. And even then, you had to spend a lot of money on these uh, study books, these interlinears, these concordances. I you know, spent thousands of dollars on these books, and a lot of people weren't going to spend that money, and they weren't going to invest that time. But now anyone with a little bit of interest that wants to turn off the TV for a little while can go on places like BibleHub.com. I'm not affiliated with that. I don't get any money from that. But BibleHub.com will show you the original text, a direct literal English rendering, and you can literally know as much as any Ph.D.-level seminarian knows. So there is literally no excuse anymore to not know. And with that comes a lot of responsibility, Barbara, because now it's not that we don't know. It's not that we've been, this information has been kept from us. We're not ignorant anymore. We don't lack knowledge. Now it comes down to the point of being lazy and not willing to do it ourselves, and you move from a place of ignorance to a place that isn't quite as comfortable when you have access to something and don't look at it, or when you're presented with something and won't believe it. And you move from a place of ignorance to a place that I call stupid. Not a lot of people like that word, but stupid would mean having the information and rejecting it. Ignorant would mean not having access to it. Mm-hmm. So shame on us if we don't do our due diligence 
turn off the TV and actually find out what lies between or lies under the foundation, what is the foundation of our belief system. Well, and when you, when you stop to think about it, for thousands of years, the texts that, that make up the Bible and all of the other texts have purposely been kept from us. Now, they, they all weren't written in the same language, and when Constantine put his Bible together, it, it, was, it was all transformed into Latin. And then King James came around, and, and he was the same way. Instead of translating it into standard English, he, trans, he translated it into court English, which, which the, the common man didn't speak and didn't understand. So that that Bible, for hundreds of years, the, the common folk couldn't read because they couldn't understand the language that it was written in, even though it was English. That's absolutely true. And if you, and if you think about it, when you go back to the New Testament, the, people don't realize that the New Testament was written in, under Roman occupation. The Roman army was occupying Jerusalem, and it wasn't always a nice occupation. They were under military rulership. They were under military occupation from a foreign power. And there was this uh, group of people that were called the censors, the C-E-N-S-O-R-S, and their job was to read every bit of information that was published by that indigenous population to make sure that there was nothing that was against Rome, nothing that could cause um, people to revolt against Rome, nothing that was you know outside of the party line. So the New Testament, as we have it, was vetted and approved by the Roman Empire, the original New World Order, if you will, and if you bring that down into, as you so adroitly pointed out, into King James times, British times, Britain was the one world empire of that day. They were New World Order Part Two, and King James himself commissioned, wrote, vetted, and approved the Bible that we now have, and the one that most people will say is the only true holy one, or at least a lot of people. And could you imagine, it's the King James Bible, Barbara, could you imagine the Barack Obama authorized version or the George W. Bush authorized version, do you think people might have a problem with that? Well, if they did any research into King James, they should have a great deal to do with, you know, to, to question. Um, I, I think what gets me is um, there, there are people out there who believe that the Bible as it stands now, King James version, is inspired text. And when you consider that that the a, a lot of the books you know were buried in jars for for hundreds perhaps thousands of years that that some of them were were um were were dictated to i mean to to i mean uh Saul had to dictate to Luke because he couldn't see to write so that so that you don't know um, I mean, if, if, if you were sitting down and you were saying, I'm going to be inspired and I'm going to write something and you wrote something and I could see that you wrote it and, and get the feeling that it was inspired, I'd say, okay, that has the glow, the feeling, the energy of something that came through and was channeled from pure spirit. But, you're, but the Bible, people who, who sit and quote chapter and verse are trying to tell me that all of these men, these fishermen, these lawyers, these tax collectors, these these farmers, these, you know, on and on and on, philosophers, these guys who lived in caves and ate fish and, and bugs, 
that, that they were spiritually inspired and once the last book was written, there is no more inspired text in this world. And it gets even more what, who was that? Alice in Wonderland, curiouser and curiouser. It yeah. gets curiouser and curiouser, Barbara, because let's just talk about the New Testament. There's 27 letters. They really were letters written, and they got mm-hmm. compiled into what we now call the New Testament. There was 27 of them, and we know exactly when those letters were written, give or take, within a year or two. We know what was written first. We know what was written second. We know what was written 26th. We know what was written 27th. And any rational, logical, impartial, objective person that's putting together a compilation of materials that they know exactly when they were written, especially if they show development of faith and practice of a religion, a a political entity, the growth of of a nation, anything that we know the, the historical dates of, we naturally honestly, objectively put it in order. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 25, 26, 27. Unless you're dealing with the New Testament. It is 100% completely, totally jumbled, in my opinion, intentionally. Because why? Because they don't want you to understand the true message of the New Testament. And if you read it from 1 to 27, you realize it is a battle between the forces loyal to the Christ and his apostles mm-hmm. and the forces loyal to Apostle Paul and his new religion. And the way it's written, it's impossible for you to understand that. But I challenge you, if you read the Bible, and you can go on the Internet and just Google it, what's first, second, third, fourth. If you read it in chronological order, I guarantee you, you're going to come away with a much, much different view of what happened from A.D., 30 through AD 100, and you're going to have a much more accurate view, and it's going to cause you to question the things that you've heard in Sunday school and (laughs) church since you started showing up. Now, I I have a question. So so the the New Testament is the story of the, the ministry of the Christ. Now, what is the purpose of the Old Testament to just sort of, you know, try to tell you how the world began? Well, the Old Testament is essentially the founding, and you know this, I'm sure, the founding documents of the Jewish faith. Yep. And the Christians, you know, those that are believers in the New Testament, uh, like to adopt that as what they call their Old Testament. They like to tie themselves back to uh, that Jewish faith and make it part of their faith and create this thing called Judeo-Christian. Of course, the Jews are very much against that, and Christians don't have—there's nothing in that Old Testament that really applies to us. It's a very specific uh, cultural group of writings for, uh, you know, a nomadic tribe of Hebrew people. But, I mean, it's, it's nothing that has to do with us. But the real change, Barbara, the real thing is, number one, it came through two great world governments— uh, number two, it is completely jumbled in its order, so you can't understand what it's really all about. And number three, the great change came with this whole thing. You know, David Icke has his um, problem-reaction-solution paradigm where something happens, and then the government gets cl- – everybody clamors for the government to do something about it, and the government moves in and does something about it. Well, the religion has something very similar. It's called the sin-salvation-savior paradigm. 
we never had this idea that we were born rotten, terrible, awful people, born with original sin, until monotheism raised its ugly head. And now Christianity, Judaism, Islam, the three Abrahamic religions, all teach that we're born with original sin, and if you're born with original sin, you've got to have salvation. And guess what? The church is the only one that's got the Savior, whereas the Christ taught you don't have original sin. You've got the spark of divinity within, and he gave you some ways and some truths that if you follow those, you can lead a life that's abundant and even more abundant and a life that's filled with peace that passes all understanding. So it's in the indoctrination of religion and the sin salvation savior paradigm or the enlightenment of the Christ with the spirit within, the spark of divinity within, and the growth and development of you as a semi-divine being. So people have a, a clear choice. I just hope that they will take the time to look at it, register it, and honestly uh, investigate it. Well, I, I, I totally agree with you. The only, the only problem I see is that most people want to be able to um, go to someone who will forgive them or someone who will protect them. Most people really don't want to take total responsibility for their self and their own evolution. You know, I hope, you know, that, that seems to be true. I hope, as you say, it's changing. I hope that we're underestimating people, but all objective evidence points to the fact that most people are lazy. All objective evidence points to the fact that most people just want to be told what to do. And most objective evidence points out that people don't really want to take responsibility for their own spirituality or even their own life. They want to be taken care of. They want to be coddled and they want to be fed. They, they want to have somebody do it for them. And I hope that's changing because it doesn't look like we've got a whole lot of motivated people right now that <laughs> care enough to actually look behind uh, what Oprah has to say and what the New York Times has to say and get into or even what past what the preacher or priest has to say. I, I think that it's, it's we're coming to a time where people are more and more not necessarily researching the Bible, but getting into their own uh, spirituality and understanding that they do do carry within them uh, a grain of the divine so that so that they are the master of their own universe to a, to a great extent that there is a creator but that creator is not sitting back there pushing buttons so that their life goes in one direction or another and when you get to that point when you take responsibility for your own life then life changes dramatically for you because you are the one in control and it doesn't mean that you can suddenly become Miss America or win a million dollars, but when it comes to how you deal with your fellow man and the richness that you pull into your life because your behavior has been adjusted by your belief system, um, it, is, it is quite amazing and, and it does pull tremendous richness into your life on many different levels. Um, so, so basically, what good is the Bible to us? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I get that question all the time. And, you know, it wasn't you know, 30 years ago, I believed everything in it from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. You know, believed every jot, every tittle, every line. And today, I believe maybe 25 to 30 percent of it is diamond. The rest of it is dung. It's, it's, it's just the words. I, I'm, I'm, I'm along the lines of Thomas Jefferson. He said, parts of it have come from a remarkable mind. Most of it has come from the product of most lesser minds. 
And he said when you start reading it, it's very easy to tell. It's like picking diamonds out of a dunghill, and I agree with him. But today when I believe 25 to 30 percent of the Bible is inspired and is the, the words of the divine, I'm a much better person and a much closer follower of the Christ than I was when I believed 100% of the Bible. It's something about it, Barbara. When you get to the words of the Christ and you get the message of the Christ, I mean, just think about it. If you have the paradigm that you're filled with original sin, that you're a sinner, and even at best you're a sinner saved by grace, it makes it hard for you to really love yourself and trust yourself. And think about this, Barbara. If I think Barbara DeLong and Deb and everybody else is filled with original sin and they're sinners, I'm not really going to trust them. I'm going to keep them at arm's length. I'm looking at them with suspicion. And it's a us versus them paradigm, and it's everybody for himself. But when I realize Jeffrey Darty's not filled with original sin, he's got the spark of divinity within, I can begin to love myself. And when I look at you and my neighbors as people that are filled with the spark of divinity, I can say, ah, they have the spark of, of divinity just like I do. And then this thing that Christ said, love your neighbor as yourself, it all begins to make sense. And Christ said, this is how you'll know that you're my disciples, not because you have only the King James Version, not because you say just the right thing, dress the right way, not because you don't uh, drink, smoke, or chew, or hang out with those that do, but because you have love one for another. And I submit to you, you can't really have that love for yourself or for others, if you think that you're full of sin, they're full of sin, and you can't trust those rascals. But once you realize you're full of the spark of divinity, they're full of the spark of the divinity, it changes the entire paradigm. And now we can really embrace that idea of love one another, and we can do what those great American philosophers Bill and Ted said, be excellent to each other. (laughs) Well, I agree with that. It It just seems to me that um, the Christ consciousness is certainly something that we all can, can uh, you know, strive for and achieve. And there's nothing that stands in our way except ourselves. So that well, when so you've that, been taught, though, Barbara, that you got sin, and you've been taught that you got to have salvation, and you've been taught that there's only this one place. This Christian church has the salvation you need, the Savior you need, then you got to do what they say, when they say, where they say, how they say. And it becomes literally a guilt and fear trap. Oh, my gosh, I'm guilty. Oh, my gosh, am I going to do enough? And it, it, it is a, and it's fear. It's all about guilt and fear. And anything that's motivated by guilt and fear, in my estimation, is not anything that I really want to be part of. But how do you weed out the grains of uh, the, the grains of gold from the grains of sand? Because you know, here you're given a book, and and the church says this is it. This this is the rules. This is what you go by, and you have in there the story of Jesus, and then you have the Christ the Christ story as well. How do you how do you how do you separate them? How do you know which is which? The bottom line, Barbara, is you just have to listen to that still, small voice of the Spirit. You just have to get to the place where you know. And when you are listening to the Spirit, it's like Jefferson said, President Jefferson said, it is very easy and simple to pick out the diamonds from the dung. But on an actual practical basis, how do we really start uh, going down that path? I think the first thing to do is read the book of John. And why do I say the book of John? 
Well, John is the disciple that the Christ loved. John, along with probably Mary Magdalene, were the people closest to Christ while he walked here on this earth. And John, Barbara, most people don't realize because they've got John as the fourth book in the New Testament. People don't realize that John was the last book, with the exception of Revelation, written. John wrote his writings about 60 years, six zero, 60 years after all of the other apostles were dead and buried, and he wrote 35, 40 years after the apostle Paul was finished writing. So John writes with this great perspective and this great panorama that nobody else has, and John sits back and looks at everything that happened, and he lived through everything that happened from the day that the Christ showed up until you know the day he started writing around 100 A.D., a little earlier than that. So John has this unique perspective, and John sits back and th- says, okay, all this happened. What's the most important parts? So let me write that down. So that's why I think John is an especially powerful book, an especially uh, good book to start with. And secondly, you know, it's a little bit silly, and it's not really totally accurate, but if you get one of these Bibles that has the red letters in it that are supposedly the words of the Christ, and it's not 100% perfect, but if you're reading the book of John and you read those red words that were attributed to the Christ, you'll start to get a real sense of what the true message is. I would ignore Paul completely, and then once you've read everything that John wrote, once you've read all those red letters— you should really start to get a sense of the true feel and the true nature and the true spirit of what the message of the Christ was. And then as you begin to read it all, you really start to see the difference. And take the time and find out. Start with the book of James. That was the first one written. Go through to Revelation. That was the last one written. Once you've read John, once you've read all the red letters, read the books in order, and you can't help but start seeing the glimmering glint and shining virtue of those diamonds, and you won't have any trouble identifying the pungent, smelly, stinky dung. <laughs> well, it is it is fascinating how Paul created the religion. He created um, his own competing, separate religion, and not nobody wants to admit that. I, why, I mean, why wasn't it called Paulism? I mean... It should have been. And you know, again, Barbara, if people want to believe in the Apostle Paul's religion, if they want to believe in Paulism, I fully 100% support their right to do so. But I think they ought to be able to have the privilege of having all the information that shows that the religion of the Christ and the religion of Paul are competing religions. In fact, they're mutually exclusive. You can't be one and be the other. And if you choose one over the other, you know what? I, I uh, give you that right to do so. I just hope, my deepest hope, desires that you will actually do some research and choose it based upon reasons that you have come to through your own thought, your own prayer, your own contemplation. Yeah, it is It is rather fascinating um, to watch him start to pull together and create a philosophy that, that, that was controlling. Um, Absolutely. And he didn't hide it, Barbara. He was very upfront with it. And again, if you're reading the New Testament books in order, it's very, very blatantly clear. He totally tells you, don't listen to those guys. Listen to me. 
Well, I think the, the thing that, that gets me the most, actually, is the fact that, that in my, my own personal opinion, philosophy, that, that spirituality should be free. You know, the teaching of it and, and all of that. And he, he finds ways. I mean, Paul is clearly out to make a buck. I mean, there's just, you know, he wants, he wants to live well and he wants to um, have money and he wants to be paid for his time and his actions. And so, so when you look at the things that he has said that he has written about, it's very clear that there is a price tag on a great deal of this stuff. And when you then turn and look at the, the material that is attributed to the Christ, it's totally free. It's totally you know, you have free will. You have, you know, you are in control of your own destiny. Um, you know, all you need to do is love one another, and then, and, and to, and, and then life will take on a, a new vibrancy for you once you are sharing and and not judging and and not controlling other people. And it's it's so liberating when you realize when you actually see the Christ say, and you actually get into your heart that you're not a dirty, rotten, lousy scoundrel from the very first breath you've ever taken, that you actually have the spark of divinity and great worth in the eyes of the Creator. And when you start looking at yourself in that light and looking at others in that light, it absolutely, positively transforms your entire outlook on life. And I'm convinced that it still has the power and potential to transform the world that we live in if we begin to see ourselves not as people filled with original sin, but people that have rather the spark of divinity within. And the Christ said, you, the kingdom of God is in you. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I think one of the, one of the main things that seemed so strange to me um, in that Jesus supposedly didn't believe in blood sacrifice, and yet he became a blood sacrifice. That didn't make sense to me. It's an absolute uh, logical oxymoron. It can't possibly be true. I mean, Jesus showed up on the scene. The first thing he was saying was, listen, no more blood sacrifice. We're, in, we're in bringing this new thing called water baptism. So you don't have to run to the temple anymore, and you don't have to take your very best animal that you've invested so much money into, or you don't have to take a, a large amount of money and give it to the priest so they can kill this animal, so its blood can be applied to your sins. You don't have to do that anymore. All you have to do is go and have yourself baptized in water. You can divorce yourself from the temple. You can divorce yourself from the priesthood. And you can divorce yourself from the idea that you're a sinful, uh, rascally person. And, of course, that completely blew up the religious paradigm. That's why they were so you know, upset with the Christ. And to think that this guy that, I mean, when he walked into that, not only was he preaching this, but he walked into that temple on Passover, Barbara, and he stopped, Daniel says he stopped the sacrifice and the oblation. So he stopped the killing of the animals on Passover. That's what Passover was all about. And then Mm -hmm. he also went and stopped all the selling of the doves and the goats and the animals. That's the oblation. He stopped all of that. And he said, don't do it. And also, then you're the, telling the me that three days he, later he, he got himself crucified? He said, yeah, crucify me? Come on, man. Yeah, that, that was the money changers, too, wasn't it? That, they were that taking was the money a, changers, yeah. They're they selling taking, what they... Yeah, they were, taking a, they were taking a percentage for themselves. 
Well, what they would do, Barbara, you know, on uh, as as a, uh, a a righteous Jew, you had to come to Jerusalem a certain number of times a year. Passover was one of those times. Jerusalem was usually, you know, kind of a small place, you know, less than a hundred thousand people or so. But on Passover, there was over a million people there. So if it, you know, if three days before Passover, um, a calf cost, you know, I don't know what it is. We'll just use our money. If a calf calf cost a hundred dollars three days before Passover. All of a sudden, during Passover, that same calf is six hundred dollars. Wow! So they were jacking up the prices on people. It was usury. It was slavery. It was taking advantage. So that's why Christ also said, "No more money. Get that out of here. No more buying animals. No more sacrificing animals." He literally stopped the sacrifice and he stopped the buying and selling of sacrifice. And to think that was, you know, probably. Uh, that was early in the week, and to think that same week he offered himself up as a blood sacrifice, it just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. And and it, it just, that has always bothered me. It's always kind of like, this doesn't make sense to me. And But where did original sin originally come from? Original sin is the brainchild of monotheism. There's some debate whether it was Zoroastrianism, or Judaism, you know, which one came first? They're within, you know, uh, historically speaking, they're probably within a couple hundred years, which is a blink of the eye, historically speaking. But mm-hmm. it was monotheistic religion that came up with the idea of original sin. So it was born within Zoroastrianism or Judaism, got passed into uh, Christianity, got passed into Islam. And now, you know, the whole West and, you know, much of the, the Middle East as well is now permeated with this idea of original sin, which is brand new. It's a Johnny-come-lately, religiously and culturally speaking, but yet it's swept the globe with almost uh, an exclusive covering. And it's so sad, and it it really is tragic. If we could just become people of perspective and realize, hey, wait a minute, this thing is brand new. Let's take another look at it. We'd realize that it's a flawed, failed argument, and especially— if we take into consideration the words of the Christ who made it his business to go against that and say, no, forget original sin, you've got the spark of divinity within. It's a complete, total transformation and a complete uh, different change in paradigm and mindset between those two things. Yeah, it just, it, it doesn't, doesn't, it never made sense to me. It just, you know, you look at a baby and you say, how can this, this, this innocent have have sin. It doesn't make sense. Well, it makes sense in this sense, uh, Barbara. If you're trying to come up with a plan that is going to make every single person beholden to you, then it makes perfect sense. Because if you're the church that has the only Savior, you know, there's only one Savior. If mm-hmm. you're the one that has the one Savior, if you can make everybody think that they're in need of salvation, if you can make everybody believe that they're sinners, then guess what? Sooner or later, they've got to come to you to get to your Savior, to get the salvation, to get rid of their sin, or else they're going to a really, really bad, painful, nasty, burning, horrible place. So if you're trying to set up a control system, and if you're trying to set up a perpetual money-making machine, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, hellfire and damnation is is it can really be made to look horrifying. I mean, I, I remember I, when I was a preacher, I used to preach hell so hot, Barbara, that you would feel the bottom of your feet burning through the floor. I can believe it. 
I can and I'm, so I feel so bad about that. Well, you know, you, you probably turned some people away from some of their sins. Who knows? But um, you haven't been struck by lightning, Jeffrey, so you must have done something right. <laughs> Let's hope so. I mean, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I would not not stand next to you. I'm pretty sure that a lightning bolt is not going to come and get you. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I am so concerned about this. Bible stuff because people today, you know, it, it's 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 like it's the final word. I know people that 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 literally can chapter and verse you, and you know there is so much that that is in the Bible. There's so much that is beautiful. Actually, the um, the only place that I think death is ever described um, is beautiful, and I don't think anybody ever talks about it from the pulpit. And it's, um, oh gosh, Psalm 90, verse 10, it talks about how the days of your life are, are long and, and you, you toil hard. I'm paraphrasing here. And you toil hard and, and if you're lucky, you live to be 70 or maybe 80 years old and then you die. And the next, the next words, and then you fly away. I mean... It's it's so beautiful, and, and in every Bible that I've looked at, no, no matter what version it is, it says, it tells you that your spirit flies away, that there is, you know, you, you let go of the mortal coil and you fly away, that there is a release, there is a beauty, there is that you fly, and that's never talked of. That bothers me often. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and that's exactly right, because... You know, we're not trying to create something if you're in the Christian realms, whether it's Roman Catholicism or Roman Protestantism. You're not trying to create a, a situation of peace and security and, and love and unconditional love. You're trying to create, again, that center, salvation, savior paradigm because that keeps people there and it keeps people paying. I mean, I hate to say it that I really don't hate to say it. I'm just being polite, but that really is the facts those really are the facts of the matter. Well, the churches have become corporations. And to me, they aren't serving the way they're supposed to. You know, um, everyone talks about, you know, you hear preachers all the time saying, oh, we've got to have separation of church and state. And you hear politicians saying, we've got to have separation of church and state. And if they really, really believe that, then I would challenge the churches, if they really believe in the separation of church and state, I would challenge the churches to surrender their 501c3 designation. And if the politicians really believe in the separation of church and state, I would challenge them to revoke the 501c3 designation and let the churches pay their taxes. Let there be true separation between church and state if we really believe in that as a foundational truth. Well, I I have... <clears throat> I mean, I served in the church for, excuse me, for five years. And I think one of the things that, that I became disenchanted with was that the church as an organization did nothing for the community. And, you know, there were no soup kitchens. There were no drives for the poor. There were no, um, and, and in most communities, I see the same thing. You know, they have, they have overseas missionaries, but they don't do anything with the community that they're involved with. And to me, that's what the church is for. That's true. And, you know, unfortunately, that is a characteristic of 
you know, most large organizations, whether you're talking about the Red Cross or UNICEF or a church, when you give a dollar, you know, 90, 95%, you know, 90, 95 pennies out of that dollar, of, you know, those 100 pennies that make up a dollar, 90 to 95 of them are going somewhere to pay somebody and to, you know, pay bureaucracy. And even if you're giving a dollar in good faith, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight cents of it actually goes to what you want it to go to. I mean, like, you know, with this thing with Las Vegas, people wanting to give money, you know, 90% of it is going to be ate up paying some bureaucrat somewhere to push around some paper. And it's, it's really, really sad that religion is no better than the rest of these organizations that, you know, make no pretension to be religious. Yeah, I, I think we are coming to a time where people own, people's own personal internal spiritual belief system is going to be their guidance as opposed to an organization that tells them what they have to do and how they have to do it. Um, I, I am so um, so taken with people who are, are going independent, so to speak, who have their own philosophy. They walk their talk. And that, to me, is a more spiritual person than someone who sits in a pew every Sunday and makes a big deal, a, 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 a showy thing of putting, you know, a fifty or a hundred dollar bill into the collection plate. That, to me, is not being spiritual. That's being part of the system and buying, trying to buy your way into um, a place that that everybody goes to anyhow. No, I agree with you a hundred percent. And sadly. You know, most people are doing that because they've been so conditioned now for, you know, 2,000 years and, you know, just in our own lives, ever since we've been born, we're so conditioned that, you know, that this is the church we go to, uh, Christianity is the only way, our God's the only God, and we have this perception as people that it's always been that way, but it's only been this way for 2,000 years. <laughs> for 48,000 years, this was unheard of. Yeah, and you know, it, it's sort of like, why not go back to paganism? Why not talk to the nature spirits? And you know, there at least, if you're going to do something, you fertilize a plant. You don't, you don't give somebody money. And you know, it just. But whoops, we'll be back. So Jeffrey, we have been through. <clears throat> sort of destroying the Bible slightly, um, <laughs> just a little bit. But with with this second half, I kind of want to go into the fact that, that we're talking about um, a, a renaissance in, in consciousness, an awakening of a spiritual part of ourselves that, that, that most of us have felt but not really reached for and embraced that is, has always been there. And, and is available to us, how do people get to that spot inside of them? I mean, intellectually, we can do a lot of talking and we can tell them, well, it's there. You just have to reach for it. How do they reach for it? Well, you know, the first step, unfortunately, because of where we are and how long we've been you know, under this, this cloud and this system of indoctrination, you know, it's like Mark Twain said, it's much easier to fool someone than it is to convince them that they've been fooled. But unfortunately, we have to keep trying. And the first step very many times to learning truth is you have to unlearn error. And believe it or not, I never thought I'd hear myself say this, but sometimes for people that have been into 
you know, places of heavy indoctrination religiously, sometimes almost there, there almost has to be this requisite stay in a period of atheism or agnosticism for a little while before they can get themselves kind of cleared out to be able to understand that they can move on to true spirituality. Because a lot of times uh, people, I think, say, all right, I'm through with this. You know, they're in the church, they're in religion. I'm done with God. Mm-hmm. And they leave thinking, I'm done with God. And then after a little while, they start to realize, well, you know what? Maybe it's not God I'm done with. It's religion I'm done with. It's human religion I'm done with. And once they can make that break and realize, ah, it's not God. It's men that act and women that act and speak in the name of God that are the problem. And when you start making a, a, a transition from a religion to a relationship with the divine, that's when things really start to change. But I think the, the, the thing that most people have to do, and I have T-shirts that say this because it's so foundational to me, you have to realize that you're divine, you're sovereign, and you're free. And until you make that break, you really can't even begin to start uh, up down a spiritual path because you're, you're still into a cage. I mean, there's this movie called um, Instinct that starred um, Anthony Hopkins, and Cuba Gooding Jr. Long story short, Anthony Hopkins worked with gorillas, and there's this big, strong, powerful gorilla in this cage. And it's just Anthony Hopkins and Cuba Gooding Jr. in this room. And Anthony Hopkins opens the door to this cage, and Cuba Gooding's, you know, what are you doing? He's going to kill us. And that gorilla, big, strong, powerful gorilla, has been in that cage for so long, Barbara, that he cowers in the corner, and he won't walk out of that cage Freedom is 20 feet away, but he's so beaten down and so controlled and so used to be in a cage that he won't walk out. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of us are. And until we realize the door's open, freedom's 20 feet away, and until we take our own responsibility to stand up and walk out of that cage, that's when life can begin again for us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a very exciting Time. It's one of those aha moments, one of those mountaintop moments when, when you do begin to see and realize that you have more control than you thought. That that it, it's and I'm not going to call any preacher a liar because I do believe most people who are in the pulpit believe every word they say, and I just don't go along with what they preach. That's all. So, but but it's it's if religion as it is portrayed right now is not fulfilling you spiritually speaking it's okay to look for something else it's okay to find a different route to that consciousness inside of you um so you know everybody has said for for god i don't as many years as i can remember that you hold all the answers that you you have the answers within you that you don't have to go looking outside of yourself for the answers because they're all inside of you and that's true and it 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 feels to me as though we are coming to a time where people and and for everybody it's a different way to get there there is no one way there is no my way or the highway everyone has their own individual way of getting to that spark of the infinite they carry within them. And it can be just letting go and allowing yourself to listen to the whispers that spirit sends to you, the subtleties that spirit gives you um, in your dreams, 
to pay attention to those things that happen to you that look like coincidences but aren't. And, you know, there there are many ways that you can sort of open the channels so that the spirit can filter into your physical reality and help to manifest within your reality. It's a very gentle process and it doesn't happen overnight. But But if you're open to it, if you're seeking it, it's there for you. I agree with you 100%. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that, you know, this platform that you're on is a is a very good example of of this paradigm that we're in. I mean, you know, I, I listen to the commercials and, you know, it's Revolution Radio, and, uh, Freedom Slips Radio. Obviously, there's a, a lot of people that tune into this platform. And, I mean, uh, talk radio, uh, truth or movement, alternative media, whatever you want to call it, is one of the fastest growing you know, segments of, of the media out there right now. And there's mm-hmm. so many people that believe that, boy, you know what? Uh, it's only been 200 years in this country, but our government isn't what our founding fathers meant for it to be. Uh, the institutions that run our lives and our government aren't what they used to be. And we're being hoodwinked and we're being taken advantage of. And we need to investigate our government. We need to investigate you know, all of our political systems and our social systems. We need to get back to what our founding fathers wanted us to do and be. And I salute that. I support that. I'm 100% for that. But the curious thing is, Barbara, even within the so-called truth or movement, you know, alternative media, whatever you want to call it, when somebody like me comes along and says, you know what, you're exactly right. We're not doing what the founding fathers said. You're exactly right. We need to investigate everything from A to Z. You're exactly right. We need to get back to what the founding fathers uh, posed. But when you come along and say, wait a minute, maybe we should get back to the f- what the founder of our religion proposed. Maybe we should investigate with the same vigor that we investigate our governmental agencies, investigate our religious and spiritual agencies to make sure that we're still really doing what the founding fathers and mothers of our religion told us to do. And we might find out that we're just as far off the religious path of the founding fathers as we are off the political path of the founding fathers. And it really bothers me that a lot of people within the truth or movement, don't have the tenacity or the guts or the courage or whatever it takes to apply the same investigative techniques they do towards government, also towards religion, when really government and religion is like Republican and Democrat. They're two wings on the same bird, and they're, they're really uh, in cahoots. And if we would just apply the same great investigative, tenacious efforts towards the other that we applied to the one, our world would change overnight. Oh, absolutely. But, but you know, when you get right down to it, the founding fathers were deists. They weren't exactly. Christians. They, 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 didn't, they weren't doing this for a religious purpose at all. So that, so that religion didn't have anything to do with it. Um, so, so this country, you know, was not a Judeo-Christian organization even from the very beginning, it was an experiment. And right, but it was you know, based on personal liberty and freedom. That would be my, my point. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, only for some, not for all. But <laughs> <laughs> now, come In on. General. They only gave... <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but, you know, it, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that this is a time of great awakening. I I have for years said, you know, we're not 
in an enlightened culture at all. We're, we're in the dark ages and we're just starting to come out of the dark ages. And by doing that, we are, we are beginning to see where the cracks are in the foundation and that the foundation isn't going to hold, whether it's government or religion, the cracks are there. It's not going to hold. They're going to the structures that are built upon foundations that are not structurally strong are going to fall apart. And we are going to be taken back to um, our source. We're going to be taken back to the fundamentals. And I think one of the things that that is so exciting and seeing all of this happening with religious stuff, I'm, I mean, I get I get people who come to me for counseling that are that, that are priests and nuns, um, and and it's it's kind of like you know well, well where is the creator in your life and you know they kind of give me blank stares. Um, there are people that are in service um, of of a religion that have lost their their fundamentals. And we're finding that more and more every day. And it feels to me as though people like you and like me and like a lot of us are out there saying, hey, did you ever think about this? Did you ever question this? Did you ever look at this and think, huh, maybe there's something else here? Because an organized religion is wonderful for people to get together and share um, and share burdens and, and, and share helping their community and share in, in lots of different ways, but not because they are commanded to, because they want to. And I think Absolutely. we've got, you know, we've gotten into a very selfish um, system. You know, it's me, 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 and, and, you know, I want my toys, I want my this, I want my that, and then I'll give money to wherever. I, I know my uh, son and daughter-in-law are fundamental Christians, and, I mean, they study hard, and they do the best they can to help others, and, and yet they are controlled, and they are, they are basically told how to live their life. Now, they may have lived their life this way anyhow, but the fact that it is ordained is just so sad. And and um, you, you sit back and you just wonder if you wake up and you realize that so much of what you've been studying and teaching and preaching has it won't hold water. Right. Um, that 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 you know it has to be so disillusioning when you decided to turn around and walk away. That must have been a moment of of, of amazing you know holy mackerel. I have I have taken a sidetrack here that isn't appropriate. It was very scary, and you know we we talked about Thomas Jefferson before, and you know, he said a little revolution now and again is a good thing, and mm-hmm. I think that applies not only politically but it applies religiously as well. And you know I wish I could say that you know Barbara one day I realized it was wrong and I got up and I marched out of there with firm conviction and a stiff upper lip and my head held high. <laughs> That's not exactly the way it happened. I started. I knew that I should leave, probably at least five, maybe ten years before I did. It took me a long time to walk away. I mean, you got to remember, I was a full-time minister. I was getting paid by the church. I was living in a house provided by the church. I had been trained by the church. I had no other skills. You know, my wife was, you know, big time in the church. I had three kids, and 
it took me longer than it should have. I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, if I'd have acted with more integrity, I would have left sooner. But it is a scary thing to realize that that which you have built your life upon mm-hmm. is shifting sand. You know, people hear me, and I'm you know I'm very boisterous sometimes and very you know blustery. But I, if people would just take a second and realize that I was where all of them are, and I'm not asking anybody to do anything that I haven't done. And maybe that's why I'm so strong with it because I'm like, hey, look, I did it. What's wrong with you? And I know that I can't you know, project my <laughs> place on other people, but I've been there and I've done that. And I know what you're going through. I know what happens. That's why, you know, people ask me, Jeff, why are you so um, patient with people on uh, your YouTube channel? And we've got about 8,000 followers now. And I, I, I try to answer every single comment but a lot of them are slamming me, and people say, just, just delete them. And I try to actually work with people as much as I can because I know that I was those people, you know, 25, 30 years ago. So, you know, when they go to Christian Whistleblower or Jeffrey Dart on YouTube and they blast me, I try to remember that maybe this is a person who's afraid their foundation has fallen apart and they're just lashing out. And if I can keep them around long enough, you know, it's like having – the only lifeboat in the middle, you know, with a sinking ship. If I can keep them in the lifeboat, they got a chance to stay alive. Well, the fact that they're going and listening and then blasting you means that they have listened to you. And once you get, once you plant that seed, it grows, and and it's it's just amazing. Sometimes it takes a decade for for reality to come full circle, and and you go, wow, yeah, that I yeah, he was right. Um, and, that's and true. <laughs> it, you know, I, Although I, sometimes I think they look at the title and just blast me without even listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once I think energetically, once they hit your your YouTube or or listen to any of your shows, that that um, y- you know that old thing that forty five seconds staring at a screen puts you in in um, a mild hypnotic state. That, that oh, I've you, never heard that. That's interesting. 45 seconds of watching television or a movie or staring any place within 45 minutes you are 45 seconds you are in alpha well I'm very much encouraged thank you Barbara you helped me out <laughs> <laughs> so so you've got people in a slight hypnotic state even though they're they're looking at at, at chat room scrolling or anything like that they are in a level of consciousness where they are subliminally getting a message that you're sending, whether or not they are even understanding it or grasping it at that moment in time, the message is delivered. And mm, good point. It's, it's, it's really the coolest thing. And, and when you watch TV and you, and you know, you stare at the commercials and you can almost say the commercial verbatim, it's, it's implanted within your consciousness. This is not the kind of garbage you want, but, but you know it, that's that's what happens. The people who do TV and everything commercials are always more than forty five seconds for that very for that very reason. Mm, that's a great point. I did want to to touch on one other area, which which has always fascinated me, and you do go into, and that's the the UFO ET alien agenda that is in the New Testament. Because mm-hmm. it is definitely there. I know Patrick, um, my late husband, wrote books on it. I mean, they're, they're, the UFOs are clearly there in the Bible, and um, he he listed them all. It was just phenomenal. And, you know, it, it's, now, have they been planted there? 
Are they genuinely there? Where did they come from? Well, I'm holding in my hand right now The Greatest Deception, The Bible UFO Connection by Patrick Cook, and I've been reading through it. And yes, he, you know, he he's, has a lot of great information in there. It's a, a very studious work. And, you know, my, you know, I've written a book on that too. Um, it's, it's actually in Final Message of the Last Apostle. And I think that and there, it's undeniable. You've, you've, you've touched on an undeniable truth that there is an undeniable intentional uh, UFO, ET, and alien agenda that runs throughout the New Testament. And as crazy as that is sounding to people, it's even crazier, back to curiouser and curiouser again, because not only is there a UFO, ET, alien agenda in the New Testament, but it is exclusively centered around the major events in the life of Jesus. And how crazy is that, Barbara? That's very crazy. But, it's very crazy. <laughs> but, but you know, it, it, it feels, you know, you begin to wonder, okay, so these were, these were people writing about their own time. So I don't think they were putting these things in just for, for sheer shock value. I mean, they ha- some of them had to actually occur. I, oh, I agree. I think that they probably uh, did see some of these things, or at least they were, um, you know, told about them or it was, it was planted into their minds or whatever. But the thing we have to realize is that, you know, people are, you know, these are first century people looking at stuff they have no way to be able to explain. So they're putting it in first century terms, but we have to be uh, studious enough to look at them through 21st century eyes and, uh, and with the understanding that we have now and not the understanding that they have then. And my conclusion is that there is a, a group out there or an entity out there that wants humanity to believe that we are sired by UFOs, aliens. They want us to believe that our God is a UFO or an ET or an alien. They want us to believe that our quote-unquote Savior is an ET or an alien. And they're setting up, I believe, this great, and John wrote about this, in my opinion, they're setting up this great end-time and, you know, false flag is a term we use, this great end-time deception of a, a alien savior god or a god coming back in alliance with aliens, coming back to save us, coming back to take over. And they're setting up this entire narrative to get us to buy into the idea that, you know, ETs are, are, have uh, created us and that ETs can come down and you know, have uh, physical relations and sexual relations with us anytime they want, and that these ETs are so powerful and that we're really their children, and they're setting it up for us to be willing to receive them as either saviors or as facilitators of our Savior. But, you know, I could, I could understand it if you were talking about today. Um, but, but we're talking about 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And to have them talking about, I mean, when Constantine, you know, decided he wanted to become a Christian, it's because he saw flying shields in the sky, which, right. were, which were obviously ETs. I mean, I mean, hard to, to not. March with a cross and this sign conquer. Yeah. I mean, that just is, it's, it's just so obvious that, you know, you, you can't negate that. And. But it's in the Old Testament, too, because when Moses took everybody into the desert, 
um, they they had the the um, the pillar of light, and mm-hmm. and uh, manna was dropped down from the heavens, and and in in the Bible, if you go if you go to the Bible and you look at um, the translation, the 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 origin of the word heaven, it comes down to heaven meant sky. So manna was falling from the sky, not from the heavens. It was falling from the sky, and um, it it had to be a saucer of some sort um, at the crucifixion. Um, right. And you, you know, it, it, something blacked out the sun for three hours, um, and, and it wasn't an eclipse. So, what would be big enough to black out the sun? Uh, again, a, a disc, a, a saucer of some sort. Absolutely. So, so, who is it that is planting? The UFO stuff was that Paul, or was that somebody else? I mean, I mean, who who is the one that is writing the most about the ET agenda? Well, in my you know, after my you know, hundred thousand hours plus studying the Bible and thirty six years of evaluating it, I think it's the the being that in the Old Testament is called the Lord. I think uh, that's the being that is kind of directing this whole. Uh, agenda. I think he's the one that is laying this uh, groundwork for this type. And I mean, he's the one that started this whole thing, you know, way back at the beginning, whether it's 6,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, whenever it all started. And he has, you know, he's, he's the hidden hand throughout time as far as the scriptures go. And he's been there to consistently seed this information, whether he's giving the people that write it down, you know, del- delusions or whether he's creating um, optical, visual, you know, illusions for them to see, whether they're mind-controlled, whether he's just dictating to them, or, you know, whether he, you know, he would want us to believe that he is in cahoots with, you know, some type of uh, extraterrestrial power. And, you know, I just, I think it's all a part of a deception. I think it's all part of a carefully crafted plan uh, my, in my estimation, if it ever does happen, and I think we can stop it by getting the information out about it, but if it ever does happen, I'm convinced it will be, you know, a holographic uh, type of, of a situation where it won't really be true, it won't really be happening, but, I mean, I've, I've seen Elvis uh, perform in Las Vegas, Barbara, and he's been dead for, you know, 40 years, and I've seen Michael Jackson perform in Vegas, and he's been dead for how many years, and you would swear that it's really them. I've seen you know, whales jump out of the middle of a basketball court, and it looks mm-hmm. like they're really there. So the technology is in place, and I think it's, you know, it's part of the fear agenda. It's part of the control agenda. But I truly believe that he's been setting up all these years the opportunity to leverage the, the lore and the awe and the fear associated with extraterrestrials to manifest that in his own, a part of his own plan to come back and, and try to take over the earth and set himself up as uh absolute complete uh, ruler not just religious ruler but actual complete physical rulership of the planet well now that would go with the jesus um theory that that jesus is going to return with an army behind him absolutely 100 percent. and and i um i kind of you know i can't see it um but but some people do do believe that now. But when you get to the the, the separation between the, the 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 Jesus story and then 
the Christ who is actually here, I found fascinating the fact that, first of all, the, that the Christ was not crucified, did not die and come back. He just didn't die. So where did the Christ go? That's a great question. I personally think that, you know, he said uh, he said that he had other sheep that weren't of this fold. And I think he basically told him, look, I've got other people to talk to. I've got other places to go. I've got other people to see. Um, did he go to India? Did he go to Egypt? Did he go to the Americas? I mean, all of these traditions have, uh, did he go to the Central America? Did he go to the islands? All of these traditions have elements of, you know, what we would call the Christ message in them. And he clearly said that he was going to talk to other people. And the the Bible shows us that after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, the apostles of, of, of the Christ had no idea that there was going to be any resurrection because he didn't talk to them about that. He didn't mm-hmm. talk to them about dying. He just left. So I'm convinced that he went and talked to other people and taught other people and that uh, he's I don't know if he's anywhere today. I haven't heard tell of him, and I think it'd be hard for him to hide himself. But I think that he very likely went and talked to some other people, other places. Or it's possible he just went back to the abode of the Elohim, uh, wherever that is, Barbara. Well, I know that Nicholas Rorick, the um, Russian painter, um, in his travels in Tibet, hit a um, hit, hit. He visited a monastery and the monastery said that they had records of Jesus of Jesus or the Christ I probably the Christ visiting and they pulled the records out and, and showed them to him and um it 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 uh, to my to my memory um it was after supposedly he was crucified no so, i absolutely believe that that could have I have no problem whatsoever believing that happened and there's a there is a book out there called something something like he walked the ley lines, so that there are stories. Oh, interesting. There there are stories of um, the Christ uh, in in this country um, walking the ley lines, and that that part of the power he he had he drew power from the ley lines. I think basically is what they were saying. Fascinating, and you know people wonder well how could he possibly you know the transportation wasn't good enough but if you look even in the bible it talks about there's there's uh, a scene of christ disappearing from one place and showing up about a hundred miles away within a few minutes and you know there wasn't a super donkey you know a turbo donkey or anything you know, he was able obviously to travel you know as a you know as a spiritual being or translocate or whatever that's called so he wouldn't have any trouble getting to to bed or walk the ley lines or anywhere else that he wanted to go. So I I completely believe he did that. I mean, it's just like the Buddha. He was on one side of the river for at one moment and they didn't have a way to cross it. And the next thing everybody knew he was on the other side of the river. Um, So, so that that energy, that, that ability to teleport to, to go from one place to another is something. That's the word I was looking for. I mean, we have the DNA for that. You know, we only use. We only use, uh, you know, a very small portion of, of the DNA that we have within our body. There, there are DNA um, features that, that are turned off that would, if turned on, allow us to regenerate uh, a limb if it, w- if it came off. I mean, there, there are 
I think, are they salamanders or whatever, but if their tail comes off, they, they actually grow another one. Absolutely. So, so that, you know, we, we have the ability to do so much of this stuff. And, you know, you, 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 you don't ever talk about the passing of the Christ. And, and so, you know, you, you, you are left to wonder where did he go and what did he do? And, and, you know, all right, there may have been, he may have gone to other galaxies, to other planets, to other whatever, as well. But but there are there are so many stories of him, um, and you know some of the stories, especially with the uh, the Incas of the Aztecs. I can't remember which, but Quetzalcoatl, um, you know, right. was 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 a white man with a beard. So you know, was that the Christ in 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 another time frame? I mean, I would imagine he could hopscotch through time to a certain degree, but if he no turned problem. up, yeah, but if he turned up today, I mean, the last time he was here, he wasn't received that well by a lot of people. Yeah, he'd wind up in a rubber room if he came today, but you know, John himself said, "Listen, guys, if all the things that the Christ did were to be written down." Not all the books in the world could contain him. Of course, that's a little hyperbole, but he's telling us, look, there's a lot of stuff that this dude did that you don't know about. <laughs> well, you know, it, it does make you, you wonder then the, the story of the, the wedding at Cana. Now, was that Jesus or was that the Christ? Are you asking my opinion? Yeah. I I I would say that wasn't the Christ. I think that was probably added in. Um, you know, it's my... And I know there's a lot of good scholarship on it, and a lot of uh, people have spent a lot of great time on it. But I don't, I don't think that the Christ was married and hung around, you know, went to England and stuff, and was married to Mary Magdalene, had kids and stuff. I think he was more likely going off to the Americas, going off to Central America, going off to Tibet. That's just my personal opinion, though. Well, I I think one of the things that that is bothering to a degree is in is in all of the. The stuff in the Bible, there, there. I mean, one of his apostles, one of his disciples, was Mary, and yet there's so little said about her. Well, that's because this, this, you know, this rather trite phrase we like to throw around, and we don't really realize the implications of it. History is written by the victors, and the victors in this case are very misogynistic, very anti-feminine, and there's been great effort. Uh, from the beginning of Christianity that's continuing right up until now to suppress the divine feminine, to suppress the role of the female, and to suppress the roles, you know, of what Mary Magdalene meant to Christ. And I mean, it, Paul himself says women shouldn't speak in church. They shouldn't have authority over men. Uh, they have to have men as a sexual covering, as they'll be having sex with all kinds of angels. It's Christianity. You know, we don't like to talk about it. You're not going to hear people preaching about it. But Christianity is a very much anti-woman religion, and I think it's anti-woman because they don't want females to be empowered. They don't want the spirit of the sacred feminine to come in because that gives us balance. That gives us a realization that it's not all, you know, you know, a, a man's world. And that will actually, as we start getting into our feminine spirituality, that's going to open up a lot of truth and reality to us. And pretty soon, it really gets hard to control people who are getting enlightened. It's a lot easier to control indoctrinated folks, Barbara, than it is to control enlightened ones. Well, yeah, because in my opinion, 
if we're reaching for the spirituality to the spirit within us, that spirit within us is androgynous. And and so there is a balance of male-female energy in it. Absolutely, so, 100% so, true. So, so to negate out the feminine is to cut in half the the intensity and and the the wisdom that that you know ha- you have available to you if you're only looking for the masculine side of it and you know um i mean our spirits do not have a sex they you know they are they are residing in at this particular point in time an avatar that has a male or female gender but the spirit itself does not have a sexuality you know it's the ultimate Divide and conquer, isn't it? Well, it is, and and you know, I'm not saying that that you know it should be strong, more strongly feminine. I'm saying it should be balanced. There should be absolutely a wonderful balance here. And and oftentimes, when this pendulum swings, it goes too far one direction, and then it goes too far the other direction. It, it's a matter of trying to come into the center and have have a full balance of, of both aspects because without that full balance, you don't have the richness of, of the spirit within you. And that's a great point. And I really believe that this uh, full solar eclipse that we had uh, back in August was the end of the correction of Sophia. And I do believe that the, the fullness of the sacred feminine, what I call the first Christ, I think that the first Christ manifested within uh, Lilith, who was mm-hmm. Adam's uh, first wife, and because uh, and that was Sophia manifesting. That's written in uh, the Nag Hammadi scriptures, and there's an allusion to it in the book of Genesis as well. But I think that you know she sublimated herself because she did create this uh, guy called Yal de Bayath, who uh, I believe it's pretty clear that he's the Lord, and uh, she did it without the. The consort, you know, without the consent of her co or her male co uh, cohort, she didn't do it in in league with him. So it was unbalanced, and he's the one that talked us into entrapping ourselves in these bodies. And she felt it imperative that she come into human form to at least instill somewhere within our DNA, or within our minds, that we are not this body. We're actually much more than this. We're a spirit, you know, having a body experience or trapped in a body. But I think with that with that solar eclipse that the Sophia has risen, that the time of Sophia's correction is over and that for like never before, at least in the past couple thousand, you know, five, six, 10,000 years, however long it's been, we've, we have now have a greater access to the fullness of the sacred feminine and the fullness of the sacred masculine. And if you think about the eclipse, that's exactly what you saw. You saw the, the masculine sun and the feminine moon merged together, and I was there. I went to, I drove 12 hours to get to totality, and I felt that spiritual explosion. I felt that that full masculine and full feminine, and I think that there's an especial time now between the one time that one happened and in, in, uh, here in 2017, the next one comes in 2024, and mm-hmm. I think this seven years is a special, anointed, fantastic, uh, unique opportunity for us to 
move up and to move on and to move into our fullness of spirituality. And I have a sneaky feeling, you know, that the Christians want to tell us it's, you know, the rapture happened on the September 23rd and it's seven <laughs> years of tribulation. No, I think it's seven years of jubilation, Barbara, and it's a great time for us to manifest and to grow and develop. But I have a sneaky feeling that it may not last past that that second solar eclipse in the U.S. in 2024 and that we really should be have a sense of urgency and that we really should take advantage of this unique opportunity of the next seven years to not 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 come way over into the feminine side because we've been over in the masculine side, but like you said so perfectly, to find ourselves and develop a perfect balance between masculine and feminine. And one of the things I'm most proud of, and it sounds silly to most people, but on my YouTube channel, you know, I've got a and about 8,000 subscribers now, and we got about a million views a month. And if you look at my statistics, Barbara, it's 51% male, 49% female. And I am just so proud and, and flabbergasted that that's the case. Oh, that's amazing. It really is. It's truly remarkable. No, that, that is, that it's comforting to know that, 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 yeah, and, and, you know, usually when, when there has to be a major shift, there's a rebellion of some sort. And I don't want to see a rebellion. I want to see an awakening because, because that to me is, is so much more exciting. It, it doesn't mean that suddenly women are going to grow mustaches and slap people around. <laughs> Let's but, hope not. Oh, I'm yeah, still no, single. please. <laughs> Um, but but it does mean that that you know not feeling less that I mean what society has done to women is is unfortunately over the last several hundred years especially has made them you know almost it's it's almost like it's an archetype that's been sh- you know just hammered into them that that they are less than the male and, absolutely and and we're coming to a time where women are saying. No, no, I am woman. Hear me roar. And, exactly. But, but, but I want to gently, you know. In in my opinion, it should be gently done. It should be not a matter of um, when when Patrick and I got together. He was um, very into the paranormal and very. I mean, he had a photographic memory. He was a biblical theologian. He really knew his stuff, and and he he wrote well. And when, um, and, and of course, I'm more of the metaphysically oriented, more of the spiritually oriented. And, and it doesn't mean one is better than the other. It just means that together they're an amazing mix. Absolutely. And he wrote, he wrote something and he sent it to me and I said, well, what do you want me to do? Spell check it or what? what? <laughs> and he said, um, no, I, you know, just what do you think? And I said, well, can I make suggestions? And he said, Sure. And he told me later that he really thought it was perfect and that I was just being silly. And so I put the spiritual and the metaphysical into it. I didn't change what he said. I just softened it into a more spiritual flow. And when I sent it to him, he was absolutely speechless. He said, how did you do this? Mm. And And I said, I just put the spiritual metaphysical into it. All you were, all you had, was the scientific paranormal. This is it, and I softened it a little bit. And from that moment on, he never wrote anything alone, nor did I. That's be- amazing! What a great be- story. Because it was the combination of the two. It wasn't one overshadowing the other. 
Um, and when we did the, the documentary, Secrets of the Stones, he and I talked about what we wanted to say, and then I wrote it. But, you know, I had his input first, and then I took his input, and I put it into more spiritually oriented text and flow and stuff like that. And it worked, and it, it's a magical documentary. But so, so I, I think most people should understand that, that there is, if, if you blend the two facets together, you come up with a richness that is amazing. If you stop competing and start, start cooperating, you have magic happening. Absolutely. And, you know, when I see this, and I'm looking at it right now, you know, 51% male, 49% female in my views, it almost, it almost makes me feel like I might be doing something right every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you are. You have that many people following what you're saying. You definitely are doing something right for sure. Um, and, and I think sometimes we want so badly to see, to see the change we feel is happening that, that, that it's kind of cool. And I'm, 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 positive that every now and then you have a revelation or an epiphany where you where you have that aha moment when it's like I made a difference somebody caught it somebody paid attention somebody caught on to what I was saying you do you do I do have those from time to time and somebody said you know it's a it's a sorry dog that won't wag his own tail every now and then so you know, every now and then you <laughs> have to pat yourself on the back and say you know what I did all right there mm-hmm well, I, I think too. It's it's in this field, you you do what you believe in, and you have faith that you're doing the right thing. And every now and then, you get a reward that says, you know, you get a cookie, you get a breadcrumb. You know, yeah, you're going the right direction, and and it is a very exciting thing. It, not that often, I might add, but every now and then, there is there is something that that says, wow. You really did a good job on this, and and often it comes just from out of the blue. It's nothing that you know. It's not where you would like it. It's not where you expect it, but it it's where it, it comes when it's most important to give you that boost to push you on forward and to go into new directions. And and I think that the, what's happening with 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 your ministry and whatever my ministry happens to be is that that there are new doors opening so that there are new venues that are becoming available to us. And, and because of that, um, you know, the, you know, I, I, I basically, every time a new venue opens, my theory, my philosophy is, well, I've made a fool of myself in front of more people than this. This is not a bad idea. And, and you, you kind of just blunder ahead. I know that I, went, I was in blog talk for a long time and then the uh, Freedom Slips people invited me to be a part of, of their programming and it expanded my audience tremendously and it, it is so exciting to see the changes that have come in the kind of interviews that I'm able to do now. So, um, you know, you, you get those subtleties that are saying, yeah, keep going, keep going. This is, this is the right pathway. And, and I know you're, you're obviously getting that kind of a, a boost from, from the shows that you're doing because you have a lot of people paying attention to what you're saying. But, but the responsibility must be phenomenal on making sure you say the right thing in the right way. Well, you know, you do have that, you do have that sense of responsibility and, as hard as it is for some people to believe, I have really made an effort to try to, you know, maybe 
at least think about what I say before it comes flying out of my mouth. I really do try <laughs> to take a second to think, okay, should I say this that way? And to try to, you know, I even soften, you know, the name of my channel a little bit and, and have kind of gone a little bit of a different direction there because, you know, one of my buddies was saying, why do you want to upset everybody and run them off before they've even had a chance to listen? So I am trying to be a little bit kinder, a little bit gentler, a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, touchy-feely, but, you know, still be true to who I am. So, I mean, you don't have to be mean and ornery and cantankerous. Uh, you can uh, you can use, you know, like my granddaddy used to say, uh, you know, honey catches more flies than vinegar, and it, it's still true today. It is, but every now and then I know that, that in, when I'm doing something or, or speaking with people, I will I will kind of feel um, as though th- there's something else there that, that is causing me to speak louder, N- not louder, mm-hmm. but 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 to, stuff comes out of my mouth before I've actually filtered it, and you know in those moments I realize that that um, that that I got the information from somewhere and I don't know who it was, and then then it's kind of like I have to back up a little bit and kind of not soften it, but but kind of to, you know, make sure that I say it in another way as well so that people understand that, that what came out was, was something that had to come out, but but it wasn't possibly the way I would have normally said it. And I, 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 in, in listening to a lot of your shows, I can, I can see there are moments when you just get going and something comes out that possibly you would have phrased differently if you'd, if you'd had a chance to think about it, but, but you said it in a way that, that probably hit or, or targeted someone that it was really important they hear it. And you, you just have to trust that when those things happen, that there's a reason that spirit is steering you in that direction. You have to be, above all things, you have to be authentic. If you're not authentic, you might as well start doing something else. Well, this is true. This is true. But, but the, the cool thing about this field is that it is so exciting, that it, that it keeps you vital and vibrant and, and excited about life and, and what's coming next. Oh, it really does. It really does. So what is coming next for you? Obviously, other books, but what else is coming next? Well, other books, you know, obviously are coming next. I really would like to to get out and do more uh, speaking at, you know, more conferences and things of that nature. But, you know, I'm, I, I seem to be a bit of a tough pill to swallow. So <laughs> there's not exactly people falling over me to do that. But, you know, we're doing a lot of, you know, crazy stuff, a lot of stuff that people think, is really weird. And I mean, right now, and I mean, if you want to talk about nutty right now, I'm actually, now I was reading the, the parable of the, of the tenants in the vineyard. And it talks about how the Elohim put this vineyard and put men in it. And that this wicked husbandman came in and started oppressing everybody. And they tried to work with this husbandman. And finally they decided that it was time for the people in the vineyard to evict this husbandman and get somebody else to run the vineyard. And I am researching right now and looking at and thinking about if that's not exactly what the Elohim want us to do. And you go back to Genesis, and it says that they put us in an arena to watch what we would do. And you know, people say, well, why does God allow pain? Why does God allow suffering? You know, Why won't the Elohim do anything about it? Well, what if, Barbara, they're waiting for us to grow up 
and do something about it. So the thing I'm on now is this idea of, you know, the the person we call the Lord literally went through the Hebrews. They went and they they stole everybody else's God. They said, you can't talk about these gods anymore. You can't mention their names anymore. You know, they cut down their their groves. They cut down their poles. They cut down their idols. They destroyed all these other gods. So now all these other gods are gone. With Rome, they did the same thing. They went out and said, you can't worship these gods. You can only worship the Lord. Uh, the, the kingdom of Britain, Great Britain, did the same thing, you know, Christianized all the pagans. So here's all these gods whose names aren't mentioned anymore, who aren't getting any worship anymore, who've been, uh, you know, retired to the ashman of history, so to speak. So I'm thinking, and here's this Lord run amok, doing bad things, sponsoring bad people, creating, you know, the Lord is in business to do two things, to create bloodshed, to get power, and to create prayers to get power. And what better way to do it than creating bloodshed and prayers from both sides? So what if we decided to contact some of these other gods that he has stolen the worship from and the praise from and said, hey, how would you guys like to work together? Go talk to this guy who's messing up the vineyard and say, hey, look, enough's enough. Time for you to either change your ways or vacate the premises. And, you know, the Bible says a thousand years is like a day to a God. So it's only been a couple weeks to them at most, but they might be getting tired of it. And I'm really seriously thinking that we can appeal to some of these gods that he has stolen the worship and praise from and say, hey, look, let's work together. We're trying to learn to be gods. You're already gods. Let's work together. Let's evict this guy. Let's reform him or let's evict him and let's give this vineyard to people that are better suited to run it. Interesting. How's that for crazy? Well, that that is, it's interesting. I, I can see you doing it. I also can see you doing um, documentaries. Uh, you're not the first person that's mentioned that, mentioned that to me. That's a great idea. And, and um, you know, you're halfway there with what you're doing with your, your radio show. So, uh, your 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 YouTube stuff, and I can see you doing videos on on the different topics with different graphics and different. I can see you doing that. I think that would be exciting. Well, thank you. And we tried to do that with the September twenty three thing, but I couldn't get any of the astronomers and the astro you know the astronomers that we were trying to get. I couldn't get any of them to go on camera because it was such a you know, a controversial thing. So we just mm-hmm. ran out of time. But if we'd have had, you know, three months instead of three weeks, we probably could have got it done. And that would have been beautiful to have, you know, a great documentary with, you know, objective astronomers talking about how this isn't really a unique alignment. And we could have, you know, talked about the the spiritual aspects of it as well, much like we did on your show when well, you're so gracious to have me. And you know, that we that was supposed to be a documentary, but we just ran out of time. So I'm very much in line with that, and I appreciate uh, your your confirmation on that idea for me. Well, if you if you ever do get to that point, and you want to get music behind it, a very good friend of mine is Cynthia Jordan, and she's an accomplished musician that's phenomenal. Beautiful. Put you in touch with her. She's she's the one that uh, wrote Jose Cuervo. You are a friend of mine. Oh, beautiful. That'd be great, <clears throat> and I'd love to get you on my channel. Since I messed it up last time, to talk about. <laughs> the cosmic deck of initiation. What a! I found that to be such a profound deck that it, it's 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 amazing to me how uh, profound and how in tune it is. It's really tremendous. And I've had several people that have 
ordered it from you, and, and they they feel the same way. Yeah, it it it, it is definitely um, an oracle deck. It's it really um, is, and uh, you know it 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 kind of made itself. So I I it came through me, but it wasn't of me. So I interesting. I, um, I had I had painted personal Mandela's for about 20 years there were there are about 500 of them all over the world so but that will be for another time absolutely <laughs> but i thank you for allowing that to come through you because it's been very profound in my life and i've uh, you know given myself a crash course on it and have been using it with folks and they really are, are are being profoundly affected by it as well so it's definitely it is truly an oracle deck there's no doubt about it well, I, the purpose of it was to be positive, to give people stuff to work with, to um, open them to the potential they had within themselves instead of steering them in other directions. That's Jeffrey, thank powerful. you so very much. Tonight was as exciting as the last time. My pleasure. Thank you. Mine too. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.